When you've got questions, he always has an answer. It's Sean Hannity. This afternoon at 2, right before Joe Walsh at 5, on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So earlier in the week, CNN sponsored a little campaign rally for Kamala Harris. I thought that was nice of them. Well, it was so important to them that they actually had a countdown clock on 20 hours, 24 hours prior to it for the Kamala Harris town hall in Iowa. I mean, really, they promoted the heck out of this thing. And uh, second coming. And uh, Willie Brown's ex uh, fielded questions on a number of topics, including guns. Uh, and here's what you can expect to hear from most of the Democrat socialist candidates for president over the next uh, 18 months. We have witnessed a case where a seated member of Congress acting in her official capacity as a member of the United States Congress was shot and permanently injured. Her name is Gabby Gifford. The people who work with her every day, who know her, you know, we have colleagues, we know them, we know their children, we break bread, we share holiday moments with them. The people who knew her didn't act. She was acting in her official capacity, not on vacation somewhere. You would think even out of self-interest they would have acted. They failed to act. Twenty six- and seven-year-old babies were massacred in Connecticut. They failed to act. Here's what I think. I think that somebody should have required, and this is going to sound very harsh, I think somebody should have required all those members of Congress to go in a room, in a locked room, no press, no one, nobody else, and look at the autopsy photographs of those babies. And then you vote your conscience. This has become a political issue. Oh, now it's a political issue. Yeah, okay. All right, how about that? Uh, if, if you look at autopsy photos of gun violence victims, then you'll naturally draw the conclusion that law-abiding gun owners should have their rights restricted or torn asunder altogether. Okay. That's the sentimental barbarism of the left. And there's uh, new data that perhaps uh, provides more insight into where improvements can actually be made to reduce the incidence of gun violence. And for more on that, we're pleased to be joined by Robert Verbruggen, who is the deputy managing editor at National Review, nationalview.com. Robert, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, if uh, you would have been forced uh, under the direction of Kamala Harris, President Kamala Harris, to view the autopsy photos of the uh, kids that were massacred at Newtown, uh, would you support an assault weapon ban? I, I, I would not, no. I mean, I mean this is something that I've, I've actually been writing about for a long time, gun violence, both in terms of, of gun rights and also trying to figure out ways to actually reduce gun violence and, and really a, an assault weapon ban is not the answer to that. Just so, so few of the, the, the gun violence, uh, gun violence episodes that we have in this country are committed with assault, assault weapons. That That's really just not where the, the problem is at all. And hey, yeah, you wrote a great article too about where criminals get their guns. And it was fascinating. I thought because a lot of them obviously don't purchase these weapons legally. Right, that, that, that's right. There's a there's a new survey out by the Department of Justice. It was it was conducted back in 2016, but but just released a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and they did similar s- surveys back in the 90s that released very similar results. 
Um, and, and basically, first of all, about half of them are just getting their guns through flagrantly illegal sources. They're getting them on the underground market. We're getting, they're getting them through theft. Um, and, and a lot of the other ones are getting them through their, their social networks, family and friends. Um, and these are certainly, you know, they're private transactions that you could say, you know, we should require background checks on them. But, it, but if somebody's, you know, a gang member and they're getting guns through their family and friends, these are not folks who are going to conduct background checks. And meanwhile, only about 10% of them are buying them at retail stores where the background checks are already being conducted, which makes sense. And uh, among those, those retail purchases, only about 1% of them are through gun shows, which, are, which is another big focus of the gun control bait, closing the gun, gun show loophole, which is only a source of less than 1% of the guns. So, I mean, the, the survey really, to me, makes it <clears throat> very clear that it's, it's difficult to solve this problem just by passing laws saying that people need to pass background checks or trying to ban specific types of guns. What you really need to do <clears throat> is focus on this underground market and, and see what we can do to crack up that underground market through law enforcement. And so uh, the uh, calls as were, were offered by Kamala Harris the other night, universal background check, this is a catchphrase of the left, close the gun show loophole you just mentioned, that's another one, assault weapon ban, uh, translate what they're saying or what direction they really want to head when they're offering these sort of uh, aphorisms that you've been hearing from them uh, for the last several decades? Well, I mean, I, um, I, I often say when I'm talking to my, my more conservative friends that I'm a little bit of a squish on the background check issue in, in particular because it's possible that if you, if you did require background checks, it would, it would make it harder to put guns on the underground market to begin with. Um, not everything they're saying is completely crazy, but they're, to me, first of all, in the near term, they're focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on uh, what we really need to do is start breaking up these underground markets. We need to have vigorous law enforcement targeted at the, the individuals who are actually creating problems with guns, which is a very, very small percentage of the people who own guns in this country. Um, and then I think the end game for a lot of people on the left is, you know, of course, much more severe measures, things like gun bans. Um, and some of them are becoming a lot more open about that now, I think, because you have this sort of resistance movement on the left where they're, they're not afraid to, to you know, say what they really think instead of trying to you know, disguise it to appear moderate. Well, and, and you have, I mean, just in terms of uh, reaction in the wake of school shootings uh, and other mass shootings, you have this story out this week, uh, Baltimore police in schools not allowed to carry guns. So, uh, you know, I, I, do you think these debates about armed security hardening targets like schools after Parkland in particular uh, is a productive one? And how are we to receive reactions in urban centers like Baltimore, which has even a higher per capita murder rate than Chicago, uh, when, they're, when they want to disarm the police, uh, much less just the law-abiding civilian? Well, I mean, I think that disarming the police is crazy. I mean, these are people who are trained to respond to these types of incidents. They're people who are trained with firearms quite extensively. I mean, that, that's just crazy. Um, to, to me, it, it makes sense to defer, you know, especially when it comes to armed security guards and even armed teachers, to defer to the local area. I mean, I, I personally would be fine with armed teachers as long as they're provided the training that they, they need to be able to do that. And I think that would provide a deterrent against mass shooters. But, I mean, you know, if you're in an urban area and, and the, the political winds really blow in the other direction and everybody really hates guns and they don't want their teachers armed, I, you know, I think that's a matter of local control that they need to be, be allowed to make that decision. But I, I think it's productive to have a discussion about that and whether it can be helpful to have more armed people in schools, including police officers, security guards, and, and, and other staff who have been trained properly. Yeah, and speaking of schools, I mean, when you look at the Parkland shooter, the reason why he passed his background check is because the school had a 
system in place where if you committed a crime, they didn't put it on your record, which seems crazy. Well, so they didn't enlist police. They didn't enlist police, yeah, right. They right. just didn't report it to police, and they just kept it in their own school records. So do you think there should ever be a time when school, they should be able to call, if you want to purchase a weapon, they should be able to call your high school or your school counselor or your principal and say, does he have any you know, infractions on his record? Well, one, one really interesting idea that, um, that, that I support and uh, one of my colleagues, David French, has written about quite a bit is, is it's called the red flag law. Yeah. And what, what this would be is if, you're, if you have a family member or if you're you know, a school principal or a teacher and you have a student who, who is having some you know, serious difficulties, you can petition to a court and have a hearing and provide the evidence that they shouldn't be allowed to have a gun. And then mm-hmm. that would at least temporarily restrict their ability to acquire a gun. Yeah. And, and that, that sort of thing would, would help, I think. But, but in the present case, it was just, I mean, it, it isn't even a matter of nobody flagged him to the police. It, it was a matter of the police didn't bother to give the kid the record that he deserved, which would have stopped him from having a gun under the current system. Right. I mean, he brought um, a backpack a, full of bullets to school, and the police were not informed. Yeah, but there, were also, four, but there were also 45 police visits to his house. Know, so it's, it's, it's system failure across the board. But it, just on the red flag law, though, it, isn't it important to distinguish some of the different proposals? Because I've, I've read what David French, your colleague, has written about it. Um, and he makes this distinction that a hearing so that the party who's being targeted has a chance to respond in court as well, because some of the red flag proposals are unilateral. Like you can say, I got a problem with this family member or I got a problem with this student. And uh, you can have a hearing in abs- with, with that person uh, being targeted in absentia. So it's one sided. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that, that David's written about and something that I agree with. There, this is a, a constitutional right that we're talking about. There needs to be due process. We need to have a, you know, a hearing where the person is present to defend themselves, and we need to you know, give both sides uh, you know, room to make their case. That's, that's absolutely crucial, and I, and I think it's true that a lot of people on the left are not so uh, sensitive to that concern. I wanted, to, I wanted to get your reaction to the uh, FBI report that was uh, released the other day about the Las Vegas massacre and the uh, conclusion they drew, which is, well, we don't know why he did it. We'll never know uh, what his real motive was. And just and just whether or not uh, that conclusion speaks to a discussion that needs to be had about humility. In other words, uh, we don't know why somebody did that horrible thing, committed that atrocity, but we know how to stop it. You know, <laughs> which is what the politicians are saying. So the law enforcement is saying we don't know why he did it. Politicians say we got this one. We know how to prevent another Las Vegas from happening. Isn't there a disconnect there? Yeah, the distinction I would draw is between something like Las Vegas and then the vast majority of gun violence. On the other hand, um, something like Las Vegas is. I mean, that was a once. Uh, that was that. That was a one-time event that was completely even among mass shootings, which are very rare. That was. Uh, just a, an outlier. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was something that, and it's chilling that we we have no idea why this man would would do such a thing. Um, but but if you look at some of the other research on just sort of run of the mill gun violence, um, it's not so mysterious. It's you know we have good information, especially in some of these urban police departments that collect good data on arrests. We we know who the people are who in, who are involved in shootings. We can predict who's going to be shot. We can, um, we can look at social networks and say that these social networks are, are, are involved in a very disproportionate amount of street crime and gun violence, and we can target those social networks. So to me, um, maybe we should be less focused on these rare occurrences like mass shootings and more focused on you know, the vast bulk of the gun violence that we actually have good data on how to prevent.
Good point. Robert Verbruggen, he's the deputy managing editor of National Review. His latest piece is uh, on that new report he was discussing as to where criminals get their guns. Robert, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.